Hello, my name is Dr. Bertrand Liang and welcome to Patient Stories, episodes about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. There are some who just cannot leave behind doubt and become paralyzed by analysis. Mr. B was a 67-year-old man who was referred to me after having the diagnosis of brain metastases of unknown origin. That is to say, he had spread of his cancer to his brain, but the primary tumor was unknown. He'd undergone a multitude of tests over a fairly long period of time, and by the time he'd arrived in my clinic, there were more small tumors, from his initial diagnosis of two areas to now about five. He hadn't undergone any therapy at all, but had had numerous evaluations for his tumor in the rest of his body. CT scans, MRI scans, even the then new positron emission tomography or PET scans as well, which hadn't defined additional tumor. He'd seen a colleague of mine in radiation oncology who wanted him to see me first before recommending therapy. He needn't have been concerned. When I first saw Mr. B, it was clear he was a very nervous sort, shifting uncomfortably in the examination room and speaking with a hesitant yet rapid fire speech. I was concerned that he was manic in presentation, but noted that others had commented on this and a psychologist had noted he had an anxiety disorder. Every step of the examination, Mr. B asked if there was something wrong, or noted that there must be a problem, or commented on an expression or movement I had made that he had interpreted to be of prognostic importance. I assured him this was not the case, and that I was just trying to get a baseline evaluation of his mental and physical state. His reply was, is there something wrong with me? Sighing, I noted this was standard and he noted that his other doctors had said something similar, but it was he who had all of the disease. Mr. B's social history was remarkable. He had been a loner and never had been married. His parents were long gone, and he was an only child. He had no living relatives to speak of. I asked Mr. B why he had not been treated for the issues in his brain. It was then I began to understand the challenges with Mr. B. Mr. B was worried pretty much about everything. He told me that when radiation was first recommended, he looked it up and noted he would have problems with cognitive changes. Then, since he didn't have a specific diagnosis of cancer, that might create issues with any further therapy. He was also concerned that the lesions in his brain were not cancer, but something else, like an infection, and that radiation would make these worse. But he didn't want to go for a biopsy since he didn't want to lose control, having to have general anesthesia, or even if he was able to have awake surgery, He was concerned about moving all of a sudden and becoming injured as a result. The concerns went on and on. Most of them were truly real, but to such the point of exaggeration and overwhelming lack of realism that they were almost comical, except that it had prevented Mr. B from doing any therapy at all. I asked the patient if he'd spoken to a doctor about these concerns or to a psychologist, to which he replied he didn't need to since he'd found this information out on his own. I told Mr. B that I would present his case at our tumor board and get back to him after the meeting. I also asked if I could speak with a psychologist, to which he became hesitant. Why do you need to talk to him? I told him that I needed to understand his diagnosis better, to be able to recommend therapy. Mr. B thought a moment, then agreed, and I told him I would speak to him about that as well. Later that day, I called up his psychologist. He related that Mr. B was, in his experience, quote, the most wound up patient, unquote, he'd ever had. 
I relayed that I was going to attempt to get Mr. B to get treated after our brain tumor board meeting, which I felt no doubt would recommend at least radiation therapy. Good luck, his psychologist noted. Medical oncology tried the same thing. Mr. B had to get more opinions before even agreeing to go to the radiation oncologist to have the initial evaluation. I asked Mr. B's psychologist what could be done. Immediately, not so much. He needs a lot of therapy, probably both drugs and talk. You could send him to psychiatry, but he might interpret it wrong. I sighed, thanked him for his candor and time, and prepared for a later presentation. As expected, radiation was the suggestion of the tumor board. When I called the patient, he re-brought up all his concerns about radiation, the diagnosis, all the what-ifs. I told the patient that the other option would be to have a surgical biopsy and then make a decision from there. But the MRI scans look pretty classic. I told Mr. B that I would arrange for him to go back to radiation therapy, and then after that to follow up with me again. I remember clearly what he said at that point as if it were yesterday. It's pretty risky, and paused. Could be anything, and that could kill me. It was my turn to pause and think. This is the only time I've ever said this to a patient. I said, Mr. B, if you don't do something now, the things in your head will kill you. Mr. B hung up on me. I shook my head, called my radiation oncologist colleague, told him I was referring him back to him, and hoped for the best. Mr. B did not show up for his radiation oncology appointment or any other follow-up with me subsequently. About a month later, I was in rounds, and one of the ICU fellows called me in to tell me one of my patients was in the unit. I hadn't recalled admitting anyone, so when I asked for the name, I was surprised to hear it was Mr. B. He's pretty sick, the fellow noted. He has a rip-roaring pneumonia with sepsis. He must have aspirated. The paramedics think he had a seizure. I relayed the story of Mr. B, and noted that he had multiple CNS tumors from an unknown primary. I'd heard something like that, said the fellow. I hope we can get him under control. I walked back with the fellow and took a look at Mr. B. He was intubated, with eyes closed, bruises on his arm where he no doubt had fallen, and IVs in a central line hanging with clear tubes to bags with fluids and antibiotics. He didn't rouse when I called his name. I left a note on the chart regarding his history, suggesting they also called in radiation oncology just to let him know he was there as well as the surgeon who saw him initially. Mr. B never made it out of the unit. My understanding is that after several days, he'd had a heart attack with a pneumonia that hadn't improved despite maximal antibiotics and supportive care. While Mr. B clearly had dangerous diseases inside his brain, it was in my opinion that the psychological one was the one that ended his life rather than the tumors within his cortex. We often look at the scans and laboratory values to assess a patient's condition, but we don't look closely enough at their adaptation mechanisms for dealing with disease. Mr. B became a psychological invalid, unable to make a decision on his own care as a reaction to his disease. Our inability to deal with his psychosocial paralysis ended up with a patient untreated and unable to care for himself. It was a tragic ending to a tragic story and one I always think about when talking with patients and their family members about their disease. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.